Hi, and welcome to Government Transformed, a podcast all about digital transformation, produced by Global Government Forum with support from knowledge partner Visa. I'm your host, Siobhan Benita, and I'm here to take you on a journey into the future of government, where I speak to guest experts about what their organisations are doing to digitalise and the progress that bureaucracies can make, regardless of where they are on their path to digital transformation. Ready? Let's go. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to our third episode in this series all about digital transformation in government and in the public sector. So in the first two episodes, um, I talked to Kevin Cunnington about the benefits of digitalization. What does it mean when we talk about the vision for digital governments, for digital public services? And then in the second episode, we got a bit more into detail about how do civil services even start on that journey of digitalization. We're going to dig a bit deeper today into how do you actually make transformation happen. And I've got two wonderful women with me here who have really been part of doing that in a couple of organizations that they work for. So I have Astrid Dessay here, who previously was the uh, Director General for the Open Administration Consortium in the Open Government of Catalonia. And then we also have Shira Levami, who is head of the National Digital Agency in Israel. And Israel are getting a really good reputation for the way that they are approaching digitalization across government and the public sector. So a big warm welcome from me, Astrid and Shira. I am just going to start off really for the sake of our audience. So Astrid and Shira, our audience, they are going to be civil servants and public servants all around the world. Astrid, would you like to begin first, just by saying a little bit about your your role when you worked for the Open Administration Consortium and what is that organization all about? Yes, of course. Thank you. Actually, I'm working in I2CAT, is a research and innovation center in Catalonia that promotes mission-driven knowledge in order to solve some societal and business problems challenge and to do it in a transformative impact and empowering also citizens. I've been working in different public services, uh, different times, and different types of public bodies. Uh, actually, I'm managing projects of digital transformation with disruptive technologies in Aituka. But previously, I've been working in the AOC, AOC consortium which as a general director. And during this period, I had the opportunity of working with a great team, but to define some strategy for providing common digital solutions offered to any public uh, bodies and administrations. We offered these common public services without cost for them. And we allow them not only the compliance of procedures and legal aspects, but also to deliver digital services to citizens in the same way so that citizens don't have to do different procedures with a municipality or another. They are all the same because they are provided by the AUC consortium. The consortium was the central body set up to work with different parts of the public sector in Catalonia 
to help yes. join up their digital services and their digital offer to the public? The consortium offers, first of all, digital identity solutions for citizens and public uh, workers and common platforms that are offered as software as a service or platform as a service and free of, of cost for all public administrations. That's what really facilitates everything and make it easier for citizens. And the AOC consortium is also responsible of interoperability to share data between administrations, which is also very important. And actually, I took out where I am now and the AOC consortium works together in proofs of concepts and pilot projects using disruptive technologies so that can originate or create some new services that could be really transforming digital public services. There's a lot to unpick there and I'm going to come back to you because I'm really interested in what you said about that interoperability, the proof of concept as well, but also free of cost. I want to come back to you on that in a moment. Shira, coming over to you in Israel. So similarly, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role in the digital agency and also the role of the digital agency? Does that operate in a similar way to what Astrid has described there in the consortium? Do you work with organizations across the public sector in Israel? Yes, we do. So a um, few more words about myself. I come from a very diverse background. I have five master degrees in various economics, public policy, law, management, and uh, regulation. And I come from working on digital transformation in different sectors. So I have experience in the private sector and in philanthropy. And now in, in government for the past, oh, I'd say almost several decades, from the Ministry of Health, where I led the, the digital transformation of our healthcare system as, as a system from the Ministry of Health and the more technical CIO role of the Ministry of Health. I uh, founded a startup, so I had a little bit of experience from that side of the, of the ecosystem. And I recently came back to the government about a year and a half ago to establish the National Digital Agency, which used to be several separate organizations, one of them focusing on regulation, it's the IT authority, of the Israeli government, the other focusing on centralized services or shared services for the various government ministries, and the third working on digital transformation, culture change, digital strategies, and these three efforts are now part of, of one ministry, which was a big accomplishment for us to put it all under one roof and, and work together. And what we do is, is similar to what Astrid described. We see ourselves as the expert unit for technology, digital, data, cybersecurity, and service provision improving service to the public in the government. And we have a strategic role. We have a regulatory function where we guide and, and help all the different government ministries and agencies work up to best practices and standards of excellence in these five areas. We see ourselves as an enabler, working to bring knowledge, best practices, experts, and develop the 
the staff members and, and skills and capabilities of people working in these five areas, but also other business leaders that need to be able to utilize these tools. And last but not least, we provide centralized technological services to all ministries, basically anything that you would be able to take out of the local equation and provide centrally. So obviously a digital ID would be one of them, but we provide cloud services, we could provide uh, data infrastructure, we, we build services that are meant to make the digital journey easier for the various ministries so they can focus on their very complex business processes where they have the expertise and we can provide anything that is generic and provide the unified front. So having one window into the government services, one portal where you can enter and receive any service from any government ministry instead of having to interact with each of them separately. So those are our roles. Fantastic. Thank you. So there's obviously some common areas, I think, between the two of your organizations and your objectives and how it was approached. This sense of having a separate center of expertise that then works with the different organizations. Do you think that's one of the fundamental things that you need to get transformation across an entire area? So whether Astrid, whether it was you in Catalonia or Shira across the Israeli landscape, did you have to have this central unit that kind of had all the expertise in one area and then you help others? Of course, because in Catalonia, more than 19% of local governments have a lack of resources. And they have so many challenges as a city or little town that they don't have enough resources to afford the digital services. So to have generic services, that's really key. <laughs> I mean, before I come to Shira to ask a similar question, I just want to come back to you then. You mentioned there the lack of resources, but you also mentioned that you were able in the consortium to provide your expertise free of charge. Yes. So what was the funding model? How did that work? Generally, the Cat of Catalonia, which is the regional autonomic government, has a budget for these organizations and they finance almost the total cost. And other services, as for example, delivering digital identities for public servants or workers, each municipality's local administration pays for that online procedures for yeah, citizens use, notification, e-notification for, for citizens. All of those platforms are free. So there's also an efficiency, not just more efficient for the user, because everything's in one yes. place, but efficiency for the service deliverers as well. Shira, similarly, coming back to the question about the importance of the central unit, so your agency and how you work with other departments, Surely there's going to come a point where you can only do so much from a smaller agency in the middle. So is part of what you do also about building capabilities, digital capabilities with those organizations, the departments that you work with? Definitely. So I think that what Astrid said, and I, and I totally agree, there's an issue of economies of scale and economies of skill. And if we want to be able to provide services, it's much more efficient if we develop something centrally and as opposed to having each different ministry or agency have the burden of developing it separately. It's also difficult to find 
good key talent moving forward, especially with new technologies. For example, today, one of the challenges would be finding good cloud architects who know how to design new systems in the cloud and know how to design the journey to the cloud. And if we can find one or two or three of those, we're, we're very happy and excited. Each ministry has to find one or two of those. It's um, an impossible mission. So we're able to provide that service in a way that is both efficient and feasible. And we do provide the, the centralized platforms free of charge in order to encourage usage. But the main large projects that would be led by a ministry are, are not done by the centralized units. So if, if the Ministry of Transportation needs to rebuild their whole service of how they administer driving licenses and, and car licenses, that would be a project that they would lead and they would be budgeted for. So it's not something that would be done through the, the centralized agency. We would help them plan. We would help them build the strategy. We, we would even help them get the budgeting for that big project. We don't want to become an obstacle or something that would slow other agencies down. And, and that is an issue because any organization you design wants to mean something. And sometimes in the government, that means accumulating power and eventually becoming an obstacle. We see that in the procurement areas where centralized agencies, which are set up in order to be efficient, end up efficiently stopping progress. They totally become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. You didn't have one person on maternity leave and now 60 different ministries are, are held back because of that instead yeah. of moving forward separately. So we, we put a lot of effort into not becoming a, a centralized obstacle and only an, a centralized enabler. Fascinating. Shira, you've you've nicely moved us on. I am going to come on to some of those other barriers. I think we've touched on a few of the barriers there. You mentioned, I think both of you talked about getting good people, you know, with the right skills, the lack of resources, maybe sitting in different organizations. And then you just started to touch on some of those bureaucratic processes, I think. So I will ask you both about barriers, what you see as being the biggest barriers in your experience to digital transformation in the public sector. But very quickly, I can't help but notice you both mentioned digital IDs. And one thing that comes up in a lot of our conversations on digital and data issues um, in Global Government Forum is this fact that some countries have digital IDs, some countries don't have digital IDs. Do you think digital IDs are going to be a fundamental foundation for ultimately for good digital transformation? Or, or do you think countries that aren't going down that route will find some way around that and be able to be just as transformative? Astrid, you're, you're, you're nodding, I see. Of course, uh, digital identity is a key piece of all digital transformation because uh, it established trust between citizens and public bodies. And actually, in Europe, some countries are working hard on new concepts of digital identity that are built on new technologies also. Some of the proof of concepts are built on blockchain, but it will not be necessarily a solution. What we must achieve in Europe and everywhere is to deliver a digital identity solution that is 
easy to use for citizens that allows to sign easily as a mobile phone, for example, and that also allows citizens to be the owner of their personal data. Yeah, so Shira, you did mention digital IDs. Does everybody in Israel then have a digital ID? Is that the way that you see digital progress happening? Well, you can provide digital services without a digital ID, but you can't provide secure, personalized services where you give Shibana her personal information held by the government in a way that can be trusted without having a, a national system of verifying who is accessing that information. So it, it is a key component of advanced digital services, and we provide a national platform for digital identification where any citizen can register. And there are, there are various ways of, of performing the initial authentication. And then after that, you're open to all of the, the various ministry services. So yeah. we find it to be fundamental. I just think it's fascinating. I think the countries that aren't developing digital IDs, it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves over time, I think. Shira, I do want to come back. I'll come to you first on this one then. This question of barriers, though, from your experience. So obviously, you're having a lot of success in Israel. You are managing to join up across different organizations. I think Israel has been highlighted as one of the countries that is doing really well in this area. But Still, I think everybody would accept that in, in all countries, there is still a lot more that could be done. What do you see as being some of those key obstacles that are still in the way to really maximizing the full potential of digital transformation? Well, governments are, are a challenge. I think any enterprise organization is challenging and governments add on to that additional complexities. I think that we're not as good at delivery even if we have the best public policy and we have good strategy in place, we have a difficult time implementing it. We have a very difficult time implementing it in the pace that technology is moving forward and that the change is required. So we're by definition slower than we could be and slower than public, the private sector is moving forward. And we're very focused on how to remove delivery barriers, how to be able to perform better, faster tomorrow morning and not in a year or two years or five years. And, and that's difficult. We have legal barriers in the government. How do we share data? How do we use private data in a way that is respectful of its owners? And these are issues that public organizations need to deal with upfront and not only when they're confronted with uh, violations of, of best practices. We have a harder time than private organizations in bringing top talent, retaining top talent, and also I think in getting the top business leadership to understand the opportunities and to move along with what is required. We find these are major undertakings that need leadership support. And the leadership of the public sector is, is often not as connected to these opportunities and to these tools. Sometimes they find it intimidating because they are not sure how to use these tools and are these new opportunities going to replace them, going to replace their teams. They, they have fears 
And I think one of the important things that we did was create a program called Digital Leaders, which included top management from various government ministries working together under a one-year program, including traveling abroad to learn from other countries what they're doing well, and creating a network of top government leadership that understands the potential and measures itself on whether it is successful in moving forward digital transformations. And then the last issue I think is, is the bureaucratic obstacles that the government is so good at placing in front of itself and making things harder for it when it comes to budgeting, uh, government stability, procurement, which is always a big issue in every government that I have seen in the world. These are working with tenders and public procurement processes are always much slower than just going out and buying the best product out there. Yeah. So that adds additional challenge above and beyond the basic challenge of digital transformation, which is always challenging. This podcast is sponsored by Visa. Visa helps governments around the world to transform their work and impact through digital solutions for accepting and making payments domestically or across borders. That's a real list. So Astrid, just to recap there what she was saying, so in terms of those barriers that potentially are even worse in this in the public sector than you would find in the private sector. So some of the the legislation maybe that is in place preventing sharing data, the need to make sure that you keep that sensitive private data very secure, the difficulties with retaining top talent, and also the those issues around leadership. Do the top leaders in the public sector understand this enough to be able to support this uh, agenda? And do they have some of those fears? that Shira was saying. Are these all things that you recognize as well? Completely. I recognize this lack of skills in advanced technologies of uh, the public workers in general. Not lack of leadership, but they, they need to understand how all this technology works and how to take advantage with, with it. And difficulties also to attract, contract, and maintain innovative workers that knows very well technological aspects as data scientists, for example, and also the public selection system should be changed radically and remuneration system also. It has to be adapted to new times if we want to really make happen digital transformation. Also, some other problems or barriers, um, for example, we have detected that uh, most public administrations have problems to exchange the data between them, and not only personal data. We know that has to be preserved and very well secured, but any type of basic data. They are opening the data sets and publishing them online in common repositories, but they don't understand really well what benefits they can extract from opening data. And this is very important that they continue working on it, and then uh, culture of the organization. It can be a barrier, but it can also act as a facilitator. 
it depends how it's built uh, this this culture for example leadership is so important because in each public organization it has to be a formal leadership that shares all the vision and strategy and finally we have legal and technological aspects yeah it's really interesting that a lot of when you talk about digital transformation and i think i say this on almost every episode so far that it's not it's not usually the technological solutions that are the problem it's the culture and the people and shifting mindsets and getting the right leadership getting the right people to understand what needs to be done are probably bigger hurdles than actually getting the systems right and the technology right those are relatively easy um, to fix so i want to move away from barriers because we want to get a bit more positive in terms of the conversation so to both of you are there are there key policy areas or key projects that you worked on that were more successful than others? And if so, what do you think were the ingredients for success? What made them come together in a way that other projects maybe still struggle to come together? Astrid, I'll come to you first. Well, I will explain that um, I didn't take part in it, but I find it really very interesting. And it's how municipality of El Prat has managed all around data. They created a data unit that coordinates all data of every public services, every department. They analyze every new data set, thinking and designing how to convert all this data in intelligent services. If it has to be reused, which part, if it has to be opened or not, and they have created so a concrete area that they call Smart City. And in fact, it's a data, data office for all the municipality services. This is, a, I think, a very good model, very good practice. Another one is that um, they are developing also a chatbot. Some city councils and municipalities are doing the same, but they are using these data sets of frequently asked questions with all the questions that citizens ask to municipalities and they have trained it to give answers. And in that way, public workers uh, don't have to answer repetitively. They can concentrate in other more qualitative tasks, for example, thinking how to improve citizens' uh, experience. Shira, do you have similarly any success stories so not from the digital agency, but rather from the Ministry of Health, where we successfully set up a national interoperability network. So it was called uh, Health Information Exchange, connecting all of the different hospitals and HMOs, providing community care in Israel. And that was a very big undertaking that was held back for several years until the Ministry of Health got involved and took leadership. It, it was a great success bringing all of the different organizations that are somewhat hostile to each other sometimes to be willing to communicate on this one platform. Mm-hmm. And the, the technological leadership was centralized. It was We, we had a lot of autonomy in, in building the product and developing it centrally, but we did need cooperation and interfaces, APIs from each of the organizations that are to connected to this. And I think one of the key components of the success of this project was 
building partnerships and understanding the dynamics of these partnerships, building a forum that included all of the representatives from the different organizations that were joining this interoperability network and have yeah, each of them having a say in how this is going to look and an in, in, input into ethical dilemmas that might arise. It was really a joint effort. And it was also in, in a star format, the Ministry of Health in the center, working with each of the organizations to set up a partnership agreement for this project, to set up a work plan, how it was going to be implemented. And a lot of effort was invested in building these partnerships. I think we see that today in the National Digital Agency, that building partnerships around digital transformations are crucial. And sometimes we seem to expect this will just happen on its own because people are committed and they want the best for the public, which is is nice, but it doesn't mean that they will automatically engage. Mm. And we have methodologies in place today, and we have a unit that is actually leading strategic partnerships for the, the, the agency. And we invest a lot of time and effort, including managerial time and effort, in building these partnerships, in understanding our partners, each of the ministries, and especially the government organizations that are headquarter partners, for example, the Ministry of Finance, providing finance for all these organizations, or, or any other, the, the agency that, res, that that is responsible for procurement, these we see as especially, especially strategic partners that we need to invest in, and we spend time in understanding what's important to them, what's their point of view, what will bring them along with whatever we're trying to lead. And this is a lot of effort, but it's very worthwhile in the long run in having everyone on board with the specific projects and, and effort that is required from them. Thanks, Shira. I mean, I think for the audience listening, those two examples that you've given and unpicking what happened to make them so successful will be really useful because you've given some very practical tips there on the importance of having that leadership from the start and in particular the political leadership aligned with the civil servants and what they're trying to achieve. And then really, I loved what you said there, Shira, you can't take for granted that these partnerships are going to happen. You have to put in the effort and you have to put the resources in to building those partnerships and understanding the different people's motivations, why they're going to do this, really listening to them and then working on these projects together. I think that will give our audience a lot that they can be thinking about in their own policy areas. Um, I do want to come back to one, I've got one final question. To what extent do you think having trust between members of the public and the people who are delivering services from the public sector, really important in terms of digital transformation. Um, Shira, I'll come to you first on this one. I'm going to say we have a big issue with trust in the government today in Israel. It's a great challenge. And I see the digital services as part of the solution here, not part of the problem. I think that if we provide excellent service, we're building trust. Mm -hmm. And we see that in research as well. When you get good service from an organization or a company, you trust them more easily. You're more open to trusting them and it increases your, your level of trust. So 
if we succeed in providing better service, then we actually, we, we don't have, you know, fake it till you make it. We can provide better service from the government through digital channels than the actual interaction between different government ministries. There's an opportunity here that can help create that trust where it's lacking. And that's quite a strong argument, I guess, to ministers as well, when you're going looking for resource or leadership in an area that this will actually help them build their trust. I'm really always interested why members of the public find it very easy to give over lots of information about themselves to the private sector. For example, if they're using Google or Netflix or anything, you know, they don't think twice about handing over their data. Astrid, would you say building on what Shira says, is that because they're getting a great service from Google and Netflix, maybe when they're not getting quite such a good service from the public sector? What you say is the key to engage uh, citizens. We must prove that we are able to deliver good and quality services, but it's a paradox. People don't trust too much what uh, are doing public administration with their personal data. Instead, they are giving it without uh, paying, <laughs> without receiving money for free. But public administration are taking care of security, controls access, and uh, it's very important that from now on, each public administration add value to all the, the services they, they deliver to citizens and that they redesign these services to be proactive and personalized. And that's the point where algorithms based on artificial intelligence can accelerate all the process. But uh, in the same way, a citizen accepts the use of artificial intelligence if they know what are the risks. So I think all this will change very, very soon. But it's very important to analyze very well risks and to be transparent as possible. On the other hand, digital identity is also evolving and it will change. As I said previously, there is a sandbox at the European level where governments are testing new ID systems that uh, will really be more easy than the ones we have now. Those uh, things together, we, you put new digital identity solutions with proactive services delivered to citizens, and you have really a new way of trust and more efficient and good services. I want to add to that, if it's okay. Sure. I, I think the key element that Astrid talked about was providing value and giving value to the public in the service that we're providing. So we, I, I found in healthcare that people are reluctant to share data, but when they're sick, and they need something, they don't care about privacy. At that point, they're like, take all my data, do whatever you want, as long as you solve my problem. And when they're interacting with the government, they're generally suspicious. They say, what are you gonna do with it? It's not a specific fear of something concrete that's gonna happen. It's more of a general sense of, of suspicion or, or distrust. And the interactions that people have with the government are already generally negative. So if I'm interacting with the government, it's because I have to pay taxes or I have to pay a fine or I'm in, I need something that's not necessarily positive. And if the government is able to provide a service where I feel and that I'm getting value, they're helping me do my taxes easily and quickly, 
I'll be happier to provide that information and less suspicious about what might be done with it. I think that's quite a nice note to end on, I think, which is all of this reminder that all of this, all of the digital transformation is ultimately about providing better services to the public. And in doing that, you also make it more efficient for the public sector as well. So you help them to to free up costs for other things that they might be able to do. Um, my final cheeky question to both of you, I can't remember which one of you said this, but you said some leaders are a bit fearful because they think all of this technology is going to take away their, their jobs. Are they right to think that? Is there a little bit of them that's right to think that? Astrid, you're very clear. <laughs> no, I don't think they have to be worried because works, professionals, everything will be transformed. What AI will provide us, it will help us in our repetitive tasks to be done more efficiently. We will be able to think how to really improve the services we, we provide. So Shira, the final, final word to you, should civil servants be worried about all this new technology? I think that's a great question and our understanding of it has changed and shifted during the past year with the development and and public breakthrough of, of generative AI, we used to think that any profession that had creative capabilities necessary would not be replaced by computers. So we'd only have computers replacing repetitive technical tasks and, and RPA style solutions. And then we learned that the first things that are replaced are people doing marketing and writing posts and writing texts and things that we didn't think would be replaced by AI, definitely not so quickly. So I'll, I'll be a little cautious about making future predictions here, but I will say that when we look at the potential of where AI will replace people or functions of people, certain tasks in different sectors, the public sector is where we'll replace the least because we do have tasks that might be able to use AI. But for ideological reasons, we don't want AI doing the roles of public decision makers. We want them to assist us, like Astrid said, we want them to support us, but we don't want them making the decision whether you should or shouldn't receive a certain stipend from the government. We want these value-based decisions to still be made by public servants and where we see the most necessity for human capability and skill is in leadership. So that is is cross-sector and people that are leading, building units, building leadership, creating reforms in the public sector, moving forward in, in changing a system. Leadership positions are necessary even more than they were in the past. And we don't need to worry about that, but we will be seeing AI replacing functions that can be replaced. But the leaders, we always need them. I think we need a whole nother episode on AI, generative AI, the ethics of all of that in the public sector. Astrid and Shira, it's been a, a lot of food for thought and some real practical tips. Thank you to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you.